Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable high-speed internet. Today, I'm joined by Paul Gasky, EVP and General Manager for HughesNet in North America, which operates the largest satellite broadband network in the U.S. with over 1 million subscribers. Hughes recently became the first national satellite broadband provider to announce it would participate in the FCC's Emergency Broadband Benefit Program. We discuss that decision as well as how Hughes is connecting people in the rural U.S. and what role satellite broadband and Hughes specifically can play in a future of higher bandwidth and lower latency needs. Paul, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Nicole. It's a pleasure to be here today. So tell me a bit about Hughes um, and where you all are currently providing satellite internet service, uh, both in the U.S. and and abroad. Uh, Certainly. Well, we're um, the largest provider of satellite broadband services in the world. Um, Our mainstay, of course, is in uh, North America, in particular the United States. Uh, But you'll find our services uh, in Canada through one of our partners uh, called ExploreNet. We're across Mexico, uh, pretty much all of South America. Uh, and then we have uh, different uh, partners around the world using our gear and our systems to provide services in their countries. So if you look at Hughes in general, you know, our main focus, of course, one of them is broadband, but we're in, uh, in digital systems and networking throughout the world in various fashions. So for the communities where you're providing broadband, can you tell me a little bit about um, what they're like, what other options for ne- for connectivity exist in these communities and the average speeds that people are able to get? Uh, well, certainly. Uh, in If you take the United States, you'll see we're largely in rural and underserved communities. Uh, and typically those communities, uh, people uh, would have say low speed DSL, services. They, you know, I, there might be a few people still doing dial-up, although, you know, most of that reservoir people has, has since moved to the DSL uh, service. Uh, and then, of course, uh, there'll be ourselves and other satellite players trying to offer services. So, you know, our community typically, you know, we're offering a standard service uh, of 25 megabit per second download speed and three megabits per second upload speed. So that's the national broadband standard. Uh, and so that's what we endeavor to do in these communities to bring in that standard so they can have similar service to you know, other folks in the country. Absolutely. I'm wondering a little bit about, since you operate in, in rural America primarily, um, what are some environmental factors that tend to um, impact your, uh, the service where you provide it? First off, our systems are hardened, if you will, for the environment in terms of the temperature ranges that we see. Uh, you know, in terms of you have a lot of, you know, some places you might have dust, you might have other things that you, you wouldn't normally expect or snow accumulation, say you're in Alaska. Yeah. So uh, we've spent a number of years making sure that the systems uh, perform well in those environments. Uh, so, you know, that would be the number one thing that we would see. Uh, certainly, uh, when you install our system, you typically put it on the side of the house or on the roof or uh, in a, on a pole mount near the house. Uh, and so any of those options allow us to pretty much put service in, uh, in most houses in, 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 in the United States. There'll be an occasional uh, situation where we might have just virtually too many trees that we just literally can't get through. But mostly we can find an angle to get to, to, get to every, uh, the service in everybody's house. Got it. Okay. 
So Hughes recently announced that it was going to participate in the FCC's emergency broadband benefit program, which allows eligible customers to get a reduction on their internet bill. Um, so tell me a bit about that decision. Uh, how has the how has the pandemic impacted uh, your customers so far? And what percentage of customers do you expect that um, you'll be able to help through participating in um, EBB? Well, I think uh, first off, uh, in our focus is the uh, rural communities, mm -hmm. uh, and, and you know when we bring the national broadband average speed to those communities, you know we'd like to bring all of the things that the other communities get. So when they announced the EBB, we thought that would be of great benefit to some of our customers, uh, and you know we wanted to bring that online as soon as possible, so they weren't, you know, if you will, disenfranchised from that opportunity. Right. Uh, that being said, we've participated in the past in other government. Uh, type programs, uh, you know, keeping Americans connected pledge, you know, we were a big player in that for our customers. And I know many of them took advantage of that and it worked out quite well for them. Uh, and in the past, we've tried to participate in other uh, government uh, assistance programs that might apply to our customers. Uh, you know, for instance, we're up in upstate New York. Uh, we have funding to help customers there. Uh, so, so we do look for opportunities to bring that funding to our communities. How are you getting the word out to your customers about EBB? And, and do you think that a significant number will be able to participate or that it will help a lot of people? Well, uh, we're uh, the jury's still out because we've just turned on the services early July. It took a while to get the, uh, the business system connected to the government. Uh, once that's done, uh, you know, we expect to see more. We've had uh, interest from a number of customers. So, you know, if, we, if somebody asked us in September how it's going, I think we'd have a better handle. Certainly any of our customers that, that want to participate, you know, we'll put them right into it. You know, there's a standard process to do that. And we're delighted to do that for them if they, if they so desire. You mentioned that you've participated in, in other government programs. And I'm just wondering um, if you have any thoughts on the idea that something like the emergency broadband benefit should be made permanent. Um, the idea has been brought up by some advocacy groups as well as um, acting chair Jessica Rosenworcel at the FCC. Um, what's your take on that? You know, the program is young. So I think once they get a handle on, you know, who's coming in and how they're advancing themselves with it, you know, I think that'll guide what they should be doing. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, if it, if it looks like it's a good program is benefiting the people that they intend uh, to benefit, then, you know, I think that would be a great idea. So I, I think it's just a matter of time to see how it's playing out for, for, the, for the end uh, uh, customer. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so sticking with the FCC for a second, uh, and you brought up earlier the uh, national broadband definition uh, set at 25.3 at the moment, um, but it's likely to change at some point in the relatively near-ish future. I mean, near-ish, you know, could be anything speaking in government timeline. Um, but if the FCC increases the speed that qualifies as broadband, uh, what impact do you expect that will have on the satellite industry? Um, and how is Hughes preparing to meet uh, a demand for higher bandwidth and, and lower latency? That's a really good question. You know, we um, started doing broadband back in uh, 1996. Uh, we brought out our satellite service. It was actually the first national broadband service of any kind. Uh, at the time, though, we fully expected cable and fiber to come along. So, so we always had the focus that we would go to the rural communities. That's where we knew that we could be very cost effective. Uh, at the same time, uh, we've always pushed our technology and we brought out successive generations of technology. And at this point, we're right into a uh, $600 plus million dollar 
uh, capital build to build a massive new satellite. Uh, it'll have over 500 gigabits a second of capacity. Uh, and when we bring that up, our anticipation is to offer 100 megabit per second plans and 50 megabit per second plans. So I think those kind of speeds will certainly be, you know, within the range of what I, we've seen so far the FCC is thinking. Uh, and certainly will be a big boon to our customers because they'll be able to get that added speed. Uh, but additionally, you know, a lot of people don't use all the megabits a second. What they use is capacity to watch their Netflix, capacity to stream, capacity to educate their kids, you know, to get online courses. Uh, that's what we really, in our mind, that's what we're trying to build out is the capacity to let them do that more freely. Yeah. And I, I would assume also, especially with Starlink uh, coming to market and, and making a big, uh, big show of it, what speeds it allegedly can provide. Um, although uh, we'll see, I guess. When we launched our last satellite, uh, when it was empty, we could show people getting 200 to 300 megabits a second. So, um, so uh, you know, it's a matter of what happens when a channel starts filling up, that that's really important. So, you know, we'll wait and see on that, you know, but certainly it's a good thing that other people are addressing this market as well. And we're glad to see them there. We, we also have uh, major investments with a, another low uh, orbit system, the uh, OneWeb system. We're actually the provider of the ground segment for that. So, and we expect to be offering their services as well. So, so we believe, you know, we believe in the LEO systems, but we also think the geo system, like we have the geostationary orbit where you're fixed over the earth, is the best economics because you can put the capacity exactly where you want it all the time. Right. That makes sense. Um, so, you know, you're speaking to the idea of being able to provide speeds that would uh, ideally be in line with what at least, you know, fixed wireless providers can can provide, if not what fiber providers can provide. Um but certainly I've heard a lot from players in the fiber industry and otherwise that the future proof broadband of, uh, you know, tomorrow is not satellite. It's it's got to be fiber or bust. So what's your take on what role satellite and in, Internet plays in, in the future of closing the digital divide? Um, and particularly with the way that the pandemic has, has certainly changed our lives in, in the past year and probably forever going forward. I think that it, the notion of future-proofing just because you uh, haul uh, fiber around is is uh, quaint. Uh, but the problem is the technology at both ends of that fiber have to change constantly for you to be, quote, future-proofed. And that's an expensive proposition. At the same time, you know, if you look at the satellite technology, you know, we continue to improve it. You know, when we brought out our first satellite uh, early in the 2000s, uh, that was 10 gigabits a second for the satellite. And as I said, the next one is going to be, you know, 500. So that's a factor of 50 uh, in that time span. So, you know, we'll continue to invest and we'll get faster, higher speeds. Uh, certainly, if you want to make the fiber uh, future proof, you're going to be looking at regular, you know, regular reinvestments of all the infrastructure to do something more. So, so I think it's, it's uh, I think satellite has its place to play. It's economically far superior to, especially for covering uh, people that are in low dense, uh, low density areas. Uh, you know, I was out last weekend riding out in Western Maryland uh, on my bike, and I started thinking about you know counting houses as I'm going along, and you don't count very many houses in about 30 miles. So, so those people running fiber to them, you know, you might be able to do it, but the satellite systems will be far superior. 
do you feel like ultimately this is a this requires multiple technologies that it, it's not just a satellite or fiber or or fixed wireless or or whatever and all these things need to potentially work together as the um, environment particularly gets more volatile? Yes, well, I think that's our view of it. Um, we, we're seeing there'll be a blend. We think of the GeoLeo and uh, and and fixed wireless. You know, all combinations of those together. And then certainly as people roll more fiber and cable, you know, you will pick up more areas. Uh, but frankly, the fiber for the rural community is really more of a, a way to build out to, uh, um, to the wireless towers and to build out for us to our gateways, which connect it through the satellite to our users. I think that's where it'll be, you know, most appropriately, uh, you know, the investment will be most appropriate. But the, all of those will blend together. We, we, in fact, have technologies today where we do that hybrid. You know, we combine satellite and and wireless uh, quite effectively in, in some of our customers. Okay, so just one last question for you then: um, Where are your expansion efforts at Hughes focused for this year and, and the near future? Right now, for our North America uh, team, they're very excited. You know, we're getting the satellite just about wrapped up in the factory. So next year we'll launch it, and then we'll be trying to bring out these new super high speed plans, uh, and that'll be a very big and important uh, step for us. Uh, at the same time, you know, we launched in the last uh, four years, we've launched across most of South America, including up into into Latin America, in particular Mexico. So we have uh, a lot of expansion plans there where we're pushing to get new distribution, new, new uh, players to help us bring Internet service to their uh, underserved communities. And so we see a very exciting opportunity there as we proceed. And we're putting a lot of our effort this year in particular in that. Fantastic. Well, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on all of that. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Paul. Well, thank you, Nicole. We appreciate your interest and uh, we look forward to talking to you again. Thank you again, Paul Gasky, for joining me. Thanks as well to our producer, Tian Fu, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.